Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 97 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're continuing to creep closer to episode 100. We're going to have to find something fun and interactive to do for the for this century mark. But my name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. Dan, back in the back in the hometown, how's it feel to be back in Delaware for the weekend? I know you got a lot of people that are you know, begging to see you. You're, you're a popular guy in the 302. Don't do that. Um, it's good to be home. It's always good to be home for a little bit. I'll tell you what, though. Uh, I apologize in advance for um, connectivity issues today. Like, as soon as we hit record, the intro music just played like a bad acid trip for me. It started off really slow, and then it, like, sped way up. <laughs> so this is going to be this is gonna be interesting. Um, good luck, Phoebe, editing this. Um, but I'm excited for this pod. Yeah, I think... For our connectivity issues, I'm coming live from from one of our loyal listeners, Joseph from Newburgh, who likes to complain about the Yankees. Um, so I'm coming live from his room, and the connection there is not very good. You're coming live from the 19 or sorry, 19 sorry, 1790s home that was built um, in Delaware. Uh, I believe it was part of the Revolutionary War, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. And it, so if it doesn't sound great, I know Riverside's pretty loyal in terms of it records from each of our platforms so the quality should be good but if there's any pauses any talking over each other anything that doesn't seem to make sense when you're listening to it that that probably is why um but we're we're obviously super excited to get back on here for the podcast we're gonna you know obviously a ton of draft content ton of that stuff that we did recently, we're going to get back into some MLB talk and preview the second half because the MLB second half post all-star break starts tonight. Um, so Dan, before we get into specifics about the the second half or pre reviewing the first half, is there anything that you're most excited about uh, to get back to MLB baseball as we kick it off this weekend? This is the worst week in, in the sports calendar, I think. Um, Every year, there's just no sports, and I think every year I, I surprise myself that like how built and baked into my routine watching baseball is because we get to this week where you get Wednesday and Thursday with no games, and I'm like I don't know what to do at night. Like there's I don't I'm just sitting around like ah oh, man I I didn't realize that I watch baseball every single day from April through September. So uh, it's been a tough week, but I think that. Um, this first half was interesting because I think it was kind of a story of a couple of things. You had a bunch of these teams who kind of went for it and underperformed. 
um, in the first half. And I think that's probably the biggest storyline in the first half is just seeing some of the underperforming teams that we thought were playoff caliber teams and were probably some of the best teams on paper throughout spring training going into the season. And then you had a bunch of teams kind of surprise um, and play better than expected. Um, I wouldn't say a bunch, a couple teams play better than expected and are sitting in playoff positions right now. And at first, I think there was an adjustment to the way the game was played. Obviously, you had, you know, a bunch of different rule changes in, um, you know, stop, stolen bases became a lot more prevalent. Um, I think some pitchers kind of needed to adjust, right? I, I think we saw average starting pitching ERA go from uh, an average starters ERA went from right around a four to, I think, a four three um, throughout the course of this first half. Um, so there was a little bit more offense. Um, I think that the pace, some starting pitchers had to get used to the pace with the pitch clock. Um, and then the shift, obviously, I think opened some things up. Not as much, I don't think the shift affected it as much as people thought, but I think it's definitely added some offense. So that's kind of been the, 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 the biggest things for me is just seeing when you look at the standings at this point in the year, um, especially as we get closer to trade deadline, because you have some of these sleeping giants, for lack of a better phrase, um, if you start looking towards the end of the month here in the trade deadline, there's not there's some of these teams where you don't really know who's going to buy and who's going to sell because there's you know when you you know are the Cardinals going to sell off all their big pieces? That's a franchise that that you know typically is used to winning. They're probably going to want to compete next year. They're not going into a full rebuild. Are the Mets going to sell when maybe they're a good month? They believe they're still a good month away. Are the Padres going to sell to Shohei Otani sweepstakes? Um, so there's a lot to look forward to here as we get get rolling again tonight. Yeah, I think that when you talk about what this trade deadline could bring, it could be a lot of fun, quite frankly. I mean, you're talking about the names being thrown around of Shohei Otani, Juan Soto, and Nolan Arenado are three just off the top, not mentioning Lucas Giolito, Shane Bieber. I mean, trade deadline time is always my favorite time. It's where I get to be a kid in a candy shop and start mocking up some trades and, and have some fun with it. And it's always enjoyable to do that. But you know, I think the most important thing when we look back at the first half as well is just the rule changes. Obviously, you mentioned the pitchers needing to get used to the pace, the pickoff rules, all of the things that we're going to remember the 2023 season for is specifically the rule changes and being able to understand how that impacted the game. We spoke and, and you theorized a couple weeks ago that is that why we've seen more parity in the game? And I do think it has a lot to do with it because teams are able to take advantage of some some little things that might not be the norm when we played the slow paced, you could throw over a billion times baseball with, with shift and analytics and everything like that. I think it just created more parity in the game and it was a lot of fun. I mean, the pace of the games are great. I was at Yankee Stadium on Sunday uh, for the Chicago Cubs, New York Yankees game. And, and the pace was just unreal. Like you're every 15 seconds, their ball is being thrown and it's nice and enjoyable to watch. Not to mention you sit there and Harrison Bader gets on first, Kyle Hendricks throws over before he throws a pitch. Well, guess who's running on the first pitch of that at bat? Harrison Bader, because he's only got one more in the tank in this at bat. So how do you approach that situation as a pitcher and as a runner? You can take advantage of those things. And not to mention the shift. I mean, batting average on balls in play for left-handed hitters is up, I believe, roughly 12 points from 285 to 297, maybe even more. I'm just drawing that off the top of my head. And we've also seen some guys that haven't had as much luck. I know the Max Muncy's of the world and the Pete Alonso's are struggling in terms of batting average on balls in play, but I think that's more because of just batted ball luck than anything. But it's super fun to look back at what the first half has been just because of the rule changes and how it's changed. I mean, stolen bases are up from 1.2 a game to 1.8 a game. And we talked about how much that has to do with the pickoff rules, how much that has to do with the pitch clock, how much that has to do with a ton of things. My theory has been that teams started to do this at the first really the second half of last year, you started to see the Yankees, Orioles, and teams start to take advantage of that. We had talked about this on the podcast when we first started about the value of that extra base, especially if you can run at that clip. But you're starting to see teams actually maximize that opportunity because of the rules. And stolen bases are up. It's exciting. You have players like Ronald Acuna that are going to push 70 stolen bases. Asturi Ruiz already passed John Birdie, who led the league with stolen bases with 41 last season. He passed him with 42 for the Oakland A's, and that's not exactly a superstar. So those have been some pretty fun topics to look back at, and I think they're all revolved around the fact of the matter that 
the rule changes have been really good for the game. Yeah, I think that that um, it's funny because just real quickly, the, the first it's something that just popped in my head is we always talk about these guys who have speed. You know, and we were talking a lot about Enrique Bradfield. Like, can he get on base enough to steal? It's not like a Sturdy Ruiz, like you said, he's not a superstar, and he got on base enough to steal forty-two times in the first half. So I think it was a philosophical change, like you said, more so than the rule changes. The rule changes just kind of really kicked the door wide open. I think what we've seen is that. You know, pitchers are, for the most part, pitching it for stuff nowadays. Um, I think the majority of the people like it's stuff, 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 as it should be because hitters have gotten so good and, and need to have that, that top-tier stuff to be able to get out at that level. That um, controlling the running game is something that's kind of archaic almost, and no one really does it well. You know, it's not like these guys are stealing bases really on the catchers. They're all stolen off the pitchers um, and just, you know, guys being slow to the plate. Yeah, and it's – it's unbelievable and it's been good for the game and and people always complain especially in a sport like baseball that is so rooted in tradition and and you know they make sure to make it a point in saying that it is changing and things like that and i'm reading a really good book book right now called the new ball game which is kind of uh the writer uses examples to explain to the lay person why things are the way they are and it, it's it's super interesting to kind of digest it in the game today and and get to um you know kind of understand how the rule changes impact that and it's a really good book for anybody who might be interested but as we talk about the first half and and specifically how the rule changes have impacted guys, let's do first half awards, Dan. As it stands right now, obviously a lot of guys have had some really fun and really good seasons, um, and we did our preview content, so we're going to kind of sit here at the All-Star break, digest what we think it's going to be moving forward, what we think it is as it stands right now if we were voting on the awards right now. Um, So we're going to do first half awards here. We're going to do MVPs in both leagues, Cy Youngs in both leagues, Rookie of the Years in both leagues, and then we're going to throw in a Comeback Player of the Year in both leagues. So uh, super fun, interactive thing that we're going to do. So, Dan, let's start with the National League. For the MVP of the National League, I think mine was pretty set in stone and easy. Um, I think he's running away with it as it stands right now. But who do you got for your NL MVP as it stands here on July 14th? Yeah, I apologize to our listeners, but I'm going to be um, – I might be pretty boring here and, and, and flow with you and agree with you. But Ronald Acuna, I don't know. You could make the case potentially for some other guys in the NL that are having really good years. Um, I don't want to hear anyone make a case for Luis Arias. I'm sorry. Just When you look at what Ronald Acuna has done, just from an offensive standpoint, um, that team is on pace to – smash the home run record that the twins set in 18 or 19 they're on pace to you know win well over 100 games for the second year in a row um they have looked like the best team in baseball from start to finish here even though we had talked a lot early on about how good the rays were the braves just completely surpassed them and it's been led by acuna i mean when he's second in baseball behind a rise in average um, he's hitting 331, but he's also on pace to hit 40 plus homers. He's on pace to steal 70 plus bases. I mean, when you have a guy that dynamic at the top of the lineup for the best team in baseball, it's kind of like a, almost as obvious as the AL MVP, right? Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Obviously, I think we're we're in complete agreement here about him basically running away with the award as well because. I mean, you're talking about a guy, you mentioned the average, and I think as it stands right now, like Luis Arias does probably finish in my top three to five in the MVP voting because you're talking about a 900 OPS guy. I mean, he's OPSing 915 right now, and that's elite no matter how you get there. Um, So I do want to give credit to Luis Arias in the season he's had. But when you look at what Ronald Acuna has done, this is as it stands right now. 331, 408, 582, 990 OPS with a five wins above replacement. He has 41 stolen bases. We just talked about Asturi Ruiz who broke John Birdie's uh, leading total in 2022. Well, Ronald Acuna is right there with him, but he also throws in 21 home runs and 25 stolen bases. Ronald Acuna is a guy that I know Dan and I have spoken about for years, whether it be on podcast or outside of the podcast, as being the most talented player when it comes to Sotos, the Tatises, 
this is the ceiling of Ronald Acuna. We're seeing the best version of Ronald Acuna, and it's best player in baseball outside of one unicorn in the AL, and it's not even a question. I mean, dynamic speed, dynamic talent with the with the bat, can hit for average, can hit for power, can literally impact the game in every way you could imagine. He's literally the superstar across baseball, and he's been the best player in baseball, and there's not even a debate in my mind of who the NL MVP. And as it stands right now, if he – just finishes the season i don't care what he does the rest of the way with you know nine more home runs two more stolen bases you're talking about 30 40 with a 300 average he could fall off the face of the earth with 110 games played and i think he still wins the mvp that's how good he's been and that's how much better than the rest of the league he's been yeah it's pretty bonk so let's transition a little bit Sorry, I was just saying it's pretty bonkers to think that Acuna could like you're absolutely right. 110 games in Acuna. I mean, there's no one close. And I'm just going to say yeah. this now because I'm going to I just want to dig my heels in on a point real quick, Trevor. Luis Arias isn't going to finish with a 900. Yes. <laughs> I think that well, team. I we'll think that there. team is due we'll for there. a crater. I'm just saying they've they're, 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 they're 23 we'll and six there. in one run games. I, I'm with you. We'll, we'll get there, Dad. We, we don't have to. We don't have to die on this hill in the first 15 minutes of our podcast. So let's go into the Cy Young. I'll take the start here. Uh, he's one of my guys, uh, quite frankly, and he's one of my favorite pitchers across baseball. He's a surefire Hall of Famer if he walked away from the game today, and it's Clayton Kershaw. I know he's on the injured list right now. I think that's just become a yearly tradition for Clayton, Um, but you're talking about a guy as it stands right now who's pitching to a 2.55 ERA, a 1.05 whip, 105 strikeouts in 95 innings. The batted ball profile shows that it's been legit. And this is just what we've come to expect from Clayton Kershaw, right? He pitched to a 2.28 last year. Remember when people were saying he was done after his 3.55? Ooh, 3.55 season in 2021. So scary and such a big number for Clayton Kershaw. But you're talking about a guy who has a 2.48 ERA on a career, which is just mind-blowing to wrap your head around because Clayton Kershaw is making an argument for being the best pitcher, left-handed pitcher of all time, quite frankly. I don't think there's much of a debate. I know in the era that he started in, it wasn't exactly in run-scoring environment, but you're talking about a guy who since his rookie year has only finished with two years above a three ERA. A three ERA. Like, that is unbelievable to think about. He's been great. He's uh, been great this year. I think he deserves more credit because obviously the playoff woes are a little bit concerning. He's upwards of 200 innings with a a 4.5 ERA. But I think when you look at what Clayton Kershaw has done in the first half, assuming he comes back healthy at some point in the month of July or early August, there's no reason to expect that Hall of Fame Clayton Kershaw isn't going to be the guy that shows up and he's going to continue this stretch of a 2.55 ERA with more than a strikeout per inning, walking nobody and giving up no hits. Yeah, I think he needs to. He does need to come back soon because he's just sitting at 16 starts right now. He needs to push 30, I think, to get it. Just because there's going to be, I think, a handful of guys who su- surpass 30 starts in the National League, and I feel like the way this voting goes nowadays, um, they'll do it. But uh, then, I, so for me, the thing about Kershaw too is, is do we look at this stretch of how good the Dodgers have been for what feels like our entire lifetime now? And who's been at the top of the rotation for all of those teams? It's been him yeah. still to this day. And you think about the importance of what he is and how dominant he's been. And I think there's some fatigue. I think we've just all kind of, there's new exciting toys. So we kind of forget how good he's been and how good he continues to be. So him being the first half MVP or Cy Young, I'm in on it. Um, the Dodgers with all their other pitching issues would be buried without Kershaw too. If you, if you think about it, they've now retaken first place in that division. I'm going to go Zach Gallen, though. The Diamondbacks were a surprise team um, that uh, not you know people thought were taking steps to become better. They had a bunch of young guys and a lot of exciting guys, and Gallen kind of took the reins, and, and their biggest glaring weakness going into the year and throughout the first part of the season was the fact that, hey, their starting pitching isn't that good. <sighs> Zach Gallen's been unbelievable, and he's really he – start, it started in the second half of last year – I remember we did, I think, a whole podcast and whole episode on him or, or almost a whole episode on him um, in the fall about how yeah. great he's been. And he just has continued. He hasn't missed a beat. He's 11-3 and three with a 304 ERA, 
125 strikeouts and 118 innings. He's got a 1.05 whip. Those sound pretty similar to Clayton Kershaw's numbers, right? The earned runs a little a little bit worse. Um, but you're talking about a guy who doesn't walk anybody. He's aggressive. He attacks his own. Um, he's he's got one of the highest chase rates. He's got some of the nasty stuff in the league. And um, if we're talking first half MVP or Cy Young, I'm sorry, then then Gallon for the Diamondbacks has been that guy. If we're talking who we think is going to hold everyone off, to me, Gallon's that guy. Um, I think especially because if the Diamondbacks are going to make a push and continue to stay towards the top of the playoffs, um, whether it be the first wild card or winning that division, it's going to be on the back of Gallon, especially when we get into September and maybe pitching on short rest and stuff like that. Yeah, I think the thing about Gallon too is when he gets hot, he is unhittable. Like we've seen it, he's back to back years where he's had forty straight scoreless innings during a stretch, and and sure, like there's the comeback to earth moment where he becomes just a a really good pitcher. But if he can get one of those stretches in the second half and and bump his ERA down and continue to stay healthy and and pill the slab and and go every fifth day, he he is very well gonna be in contention and potentially run away with the award, assuming Kershaw might not get healthy. But Justin Steele's another guy who deserves a, a ton of credit for for what he's been able to do. Ton of soft contact, not as much swing and miss, so he's not exactly the cute guy that we look at in the MLB today, but he's definitely somebody that uh, should be getting some recognition for the first half that he's had. So as we transition to the Rookie of the Year in the National League, I think this one is a, a surefire slam dunk. No questions, but Dan, I'll let you take the lead here on on one of your guys as you continue to stay out west with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, it's Corbin Carroll. I think this is another runaway. I mean, (laughs) you look at what Corbin Carroll's done. He was billed as the top prospect, and it is so hard, I think, sometimes for these guys to deliver. You know, I think you look at what Adley Rushman has done with the Orioles. It's been incredible, especially this year. But when he first got called up with all the fanfare, yes, they started winning games, but it's not like he was – playing at an all-star level. He was really good. You could see the potential. You could see how good he was going to be. And you saw a ton of flashes from Adley. I'm not saying he was bad at all. But like to live up to that billing of like, here comes the guy, here comes the, the organization changer. And then to go out there and do it, I mean, he hit 290 in the first half with 26 steals and 18 homers. I mean, that's the thing we talked about when we talked about him at the beginning of the year. We were like, is he going to be able to lift? Is the power going to translate from what we saw in the minor leagues when he started to show flashes of it? He's 18 homers in the first half of the season. He's going to push 30 bombs and he's going to steal. He's going to push 50 steals. I mean, that's what he's done, again, alongside Zach Allen to, to for the Diamondbacks to arrive early like it looks like they have to be in prime playoff position, to potentially win the West and and take down the Dodgers, which to think the way the Diamondbacks, that we're talking about the Diamondbacks doing it instead of the Padres, it's because of Zach Allen and Corbin Carroll and how good he has been. He's electric. He's one of the most electric players in the league. And it's funny because the last three weeks or so, He's gotten, you know, he's gotten pushed behind the national media behind Ellie De La Cruz because Ellie De La Cruz does something incredible every day. But Corbin Carroll is equally as electric as as Ellie um, and what he's done. He's done it for, you know, we have a much larger sample size and he did it. And again, I can't stress it enough. The pressure of being the organization changer, the pressure of coming up and, and people expecting you to have that impact right away. Very few guys can do, and you you got to be special to do it. So for me, this is his award to lose for sure. Oh, yeah, it's his award to lose. It's his MVPs to lose at some point in his career as it stands right now. He's, he's I mean, we're talking about Acuna putting up bonkers numbers of 40 homers, you know, 70 steals potentially. Corbin Carroll in his prime is is going to be pushing those numbers on both end of that. You know, he's a guy that I think coming into the season I was down on, you know, kind of similar to Anthony Volpe. The reasoning is, is just smaller guy, right? The thump doesn't necessarily translate all the time. It's a little bit easier to manipulate the baseball or the pool side in the minor leagues when you are a guy um, that is just that good, right? As good as Corbin Carroll's. And it's funny because a lot of guys I trust were adamant that the batted ball profile was a lot better than you give it credit for in the minor leagues, at least in terms of his size, like his barrel awareness, his barrel skills are next level unreal in the minor leagues. He was showing flashes of exit velocities that would make him a 30 home run guy. And I never believed it for whatever reason, um, but he's shown me wrong. And I have no problem admitting that he is going to win the rookie of the year. He's 
he's kind of like Ronald Acuna, where if he plays 110, he probably still wins Rookie of the Year as it stands right now. He's going to push 30 home runs easy. You mentioned the 50 steals, 289, 549 slug. I think there's going to be a little bit of a second half struggle, but it's a matter of how much. Are we thinking like Ellie De La Cruz, I think, has some flaws in his game that could be exposed. I don't think Corbin Carroll has some flaws. I think it's going to be his ability to get to his power. That's it. Consistently, he's a little bit steep in his swing, um, and that's something that can get exposed. But he's proven otherwise that through 118 games, he has 22 home runs, including last season. And and he's a well above average player with a 900 OPS to start his career. Imagine what he can grow into in the future. So I think he is a slam dunk rookie of the year. I think he's going to compete for MVPs as it stands for the for the foreseeable future. And I think that there's there's just no doubt about that. So for comeback player of the year here. Um, obviously I think there's one guy that everybody's going to circle in the national league and, and I'll take it here and, and go with him. It's Cody Bellinger. His name's cropping up in a lot of trade talk because the Cubs are kind of in that middle position where they don't know to sell. They don't know to buy. And Cody Bellinger is only there in a short amount of time. You're talking about a guy who looks a lot more similar to the guy that won an MVP, uh, 280 to 290 stolen bases, flashing some power, getting on base, playing elite net defense in center field. And it's good to see for a guy that, you know, was really, really good for, for the Dodgers. And nobody knows what happened when it kind of fell off a cliff out of nowhere. He's He's been unbelievable for the Chicago Cubs, and he's going to make some team happy at the deadline if they do go after him uh, because he is a dynamic player. I worry about the batted ball profiles. I'm going to be frank with you, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't be a comeback player of the year. I just don't think he's ever going to be MVP Cody Bellinger again. Yeah, I think a lot of people are rooting for him, and that's why you know so many people are excited about the year he's putting together. It's going to be interesting, too, if he gets – you know, he, he's done it for a Chicago team that, that you know, hasn't been in the spotlight because they've been below 500 for most of the year. It'll be interesting to see when he gets traded, if he gets traded, which I would imagine, you know, he's on a kind of a one-year prove-me deal. So he's a, a really good candidate to move, especially because there's not as many outfield bats in this deadline. What he does, if he's expected to slide into the middle of an order of a playoff contender, um, that, that I think is going to be something to look out for. Look, I'm going to go homer pick here. I'm going to go Nick Castellanos. And um, obviously Castellanos is an all-star this year. Last year, Nick Castellanos finished the year with a 694 OPS, uh, a 96 OPS plus. So that means he was 4% below league average. He had 13 homers and 27 uh, doubles. You look at this year, Castellanos has 26 doubles and 13 homers in the first half. He's OPSing 840. He's a 128 OPS plus. He's above 300 again, which is the guy that we had seen for so many years. And that first year in Philly, he was lost. And you could see it. There were just times he was not comfortable. He got out of, of who he was. His swing looked terrible. He looked like he had been zapped of all power. And there were a lot of talks of this is a disaster contract. And there were even some people um, – kind of in the Philadelphia, the media market, who were suggesting just trading him for whatever they could get in the offseason because it's not like he brought anything on the defensive side. And without Nick Castellanos this year with the years that, you know, Harper's rushed himself back and hasn't found the power. Schwarber got hot, but not as hot as he was last year. He struggled in the first half for the most of it. Trey Turner's been having the worst year of his career. So there's a candidate for 2024 comeback player of the year, I guess. Um, but Castellanos has carried them for a long, long time this first half, and he's been their most consistent guy. And they're seven games over 500. They're half games out of a playoff spot after a dreadful April and May again, the same story every year. And it's because of Nick Castellanos for, for a lot of it on the offensive side. Um, so just to see him back to what he's doing and, um, is really good for the Phillies and, and really good for him because, you know, I think he's one of the most um, misunderstood but most genuine and thoughtful guys in Major League Baseball. Um and so, you know, as a fan of the team and as a fan of him, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. He's been fun to watch this this spring so far and, and summer. And, and it's been cool to see because, I don't know, I'm pro player. So I hate to see guys get ribbed the way they do in Philadelphia and New York. And to see a guy handle that, take it, work their butt off in the offseason and come back a new new player and, and have the success, it's, it's always good to see. So as we transition into the AL, Dan, I mean – do we even need to talk about this? We we no. spent a whole episode on him specifically, the AL MVP. It's Shohei Otani. It will always be Shohei Otani. No questions asked. I mean, Aaron Judge has been great when he was healthy. 
now he's missing some time. Obviously, he's going to come back. He's still going to be the reigning AL MVP and play to that caliber. But to see what Otani's done, I mean, leads the league in homers at the break. He also happens to pitch and pitches to, you know, a sub three ERA and punches out a ton of dudes. And it's just, I think my only thing I want to say about Shohei Otani, and it has nothing to do with it, with him on the field he's great we could spend weeks talking about it is nowadays we hear about everybody's the next Shohei Otani I don't think that we're ever going to see a Shohei Otani again which is what we need to appreciate the most none of these guys that get drafted the Jack Caglianos the Bryce Eldridge all those guys nobody's ever going to be able to do what Shohei Otani does and I'm going to live on that hill until I'm proven otherwise. So Shohei Otani's the MVP. No questions about it. Dan, you have anything to, to add in there? I just have two questions for you. Um, I'm going to break them up. I want your answers, uh, and then I'll ask the next one. You, I don't agree with your second point. DJ Uyunglele, who was drafted in the 13th round, was drafted as a two-way guy. You don't think he can be Shohei Otani on the baseball field? He hasn't played baseball since high school, but... He's got a he's got a good arm. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Guys, I wonder if he was as surprised as we all were when his name got pulled in the MLB draft. Well, let me tell you this too. This is Not what irritates me a bit. This is what irritates me about this too. And I I love the Dodgers. I love everything that they're about. I love everything that they do. Dodgers VP of of player personnel, whatever it is, comes out and says, you know. This is an investment, and we feel bad because they've cut the minor leaguers and they've cut the draft in, in half, and we can't as get as many investments as we used to be able to get, and it hurts us as an organization. Then you go and make that draft pick. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Turn the page. You're a hypocrite. Next. I knew this would fire you up. Um, my next question, I saw this on social media, um, and I thought it was it was kind of fun. I don't want to spend any time on it. Just a quick, just quick reaction. If Shohei Otani signed a, a bridge deal for one year next year, what would the number be? Seventy million. <laughs> that nah, is, I'm not kidding. I know not you're not kidding. kidding. It's funny to it's, it's <laughs> laughable though, because yes, you're probably right. And if it's one year as an organization, spend the seventy mil. I get it. You're getting a side. Spend the seventy. If you're, yep. If you're a pitcher in an impact bat away which feels like a lot to do in an off season and you could get one year of Shohei Otani, you would do it. Um, and you'd be and stupid he's not worth to. everything outside of baseball, Jersey yeah. sales, ticket sales, Japan media being involved, the advertisement you're able to milk out of it. He will repack. He will, if you invest 70 million in one calendar year of Shohei Otani, I bet he brings a return of 70 million, 100%. No questions. Dude's got fans at the All-Star game of a division team chanting, come to Seattle when he steps to the plate. I don't, like, that's just, I mean, that's crazy. That's, like, something we haven't seen before. That just shows the impact the guy has. He's, like, everybody's favorite player. He's a unicorn. I mean, you heard Mookie and and Freddie Freeman. Yeah. uh, They were mic'd up during the game talking, and they were both just, like, kind of speechless because it's hard to put into words. And we we said that when we had the episode about him. Um, Suffice to say, he's my MVP as well. Yeah. Yeah, easy enough there, no questions. So as we transition into the Cy Young here, um, I'll let you take the reins here and, and talk about your guys before I get into my my choice here. So Shohei Otani is also the Cy Young. I don't think they're going to give him both, or he's a Cy Young candidate. I don't think they're going to give him both. I think they're going to give him the MVP because you can also give, you know, pitchers have been MVPs in the past for Atlanta. Um, I think, did Kershaw do it? Yes. This is a bad connection day to ask a quick question like that, by the way. Um, but I'll go. I'll go. Framber Valdez. Um, look, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be a hypocrite here with my next three picks um, when I talk about these teams. But if the Astros, who were so unhealthy in the first half, again, much like um, you know when I talked about Nick Castellanos keeping a team afloat, what Framber's done on the mound, um, he's really to me taken that next step from a guy who kind of broke out and became really well known nationally um, because of what he had done in the postseason last year. And, and he was ex- unhittable um, throughout the postseason. He's taken that next step. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, never thought of as a strikeout guy, sinker curveball, um, 
but it was nine. It was ninety seven. He's now punching out over a guy in inning. Um, in his career, he was built. You know, he's always been below that. Uh, I think at this point, six hundred thirteen strikeouts in six hundred twenty five innings. He's now above that one hundred sixteen with one eleven this year. He's got a two five ERA. Um, and it shows you how much they've struggled. The fact that he has six losses pitching to a two five one. I mean, you're talking about a guy with absolutely elite stuff who pounds the zone. Um, and I think if they, you know, for me, he's been the best pitcher in the AL. If if you kind of or one of the best pitchers in the AL um, since the start of the year, and he's been the guy for them. They let Verlander walk. Javier hasn't been as good. He's been very good, but not as good as, as we, we might have thought. And and they've been injured. They've been super injured. They lose McCullers again for the rest of the year. And here's Framber going out there, taking the ball every fifth day and just doing exactly what um, you kind of expect of him at this point in his career. And if, again, if we're talking first half, he's the Cy Young in my mind. And if we're talking who's going to win it, if they are to overtake the Rangers and, and continue to hold the reign of the, the AL West, just like I said about Gallon. It's going to be because of him on the mound. Yeah, I completely agree there. And and obviously he's been super impressive for the Astros. And, and for my pick here, I'm going to go with a, a little bit of a homer pick in terms of my allegiance for guys I, I really like. And it's Kevin Gaussman. Obviously the career trajectory of Kevin Gaussman, if you told when he was taken number two overall out of LSU, you said, hey, Kevin Gaussman, you're going to win a Cy Young. Everybody would have been like, heck yeah, he's really good. Nobody would have thought that it would have been after years of underperformance with the Orioles, being DFA'd by the Braves, picked up by the Reds, pitching out of the bullpen with them, looking really sharp, and then signing a contract with the Giants and keep completely revitalizing his career into what we expected Kevin Gaussman would be at 22 years old. Um, he's pitching as it stands right now to a 3.03 ERA. He has 153 strikeouts in 115 innings. He's second in the league in strikeouts per nine behind Blake Snell, who's also had an extremely fun stretch of baseball after starting off the year very bad. Um, he's been unbelievable ever since, but he's sitting there with 11.9 Ks per nine. He's been unbelievable, Kevin Gaussman has, and he's been worth every penny that the Toronto Blue Jays invested in him because you know, I don't necessarily know if they thought they were getting the ace of their staff. Obviously, they felt like they had Barrios. They have felt like they had to invest in Robbie Ray. Kevin Gaussman's been the ace of that staff. He's been the ace of the AL, arguably one of the best pitchers in the league. Obviously, Shane McClanahan's another guy to mention here. He's been unbelievable with a 2.53. The, the strikeouts have not been what we've become accustomed to with Shane McClanahan. Only, quote-unquote, only 9.5 per 9. Uh, so he could be doing better there, and he's been on the injured list. And then, obviously, Garrett Cole's a guy a lot of people are going to talk about here um, as well who's been good, too. Um, but those are definitely three guys, but my pick has to go to Kevin Gaussman. No questions about it. He's been great. He's one of my favorites and, and it'll be fun to see how he handles the second half as he, as he continues to look like one of the best starters in the league. As we transition into rookie of the year, uh, I have to stick with this pick here because it was my preseason pick and we're going to go with Masataka Yoshida. He was my preseason rookie of the year bet, and it's been Pretty impressive what he's been able to do since coming over from from Japan. And obviously, he had a really good WBC, so everybody knew that the talent was there. But that transition's always hard on guys. But as we sit here today, he's hitting 316, 382, 492 with an 874 OPS. He's got 10 home runs, 19 doubles, and just been a really good player for the Red Sox and, and a team that could use a top middle of the order bat. They've gotten it out of Yoshida, and it looks like he's going to be a formidable bat for them for the foreseeable future, and no reason to expect that he doesn't continue to perform at this level. Yeah, he's been kind of everything the Red Sox had hoped for when they when they gave him the contract from Japan. Um, I'm going to go with kind of a... I don't love these picks, but he didn't burn his rookie eligibility last year. And Josh Young has been unbelievable for the Texas Rangers. Um, you know, 19 homers in the first half, 280 average, an 835 OPS, 56 RBIs. Um, you know, he's a guy who's in the tops in the league in barrel percentage, you know, expected uh, on base, expected batting average, and expected slug. So he's really turned himself kind of into the guy that, as a prospect, when he was first drafted, everybody kind of thought he could be um, – and, and he's really proven it, and he's going to be an impact guy in this league. And that Rangers lineup, like, I know they're having a good year this year, but 
I don't think it's going to slow down in, at any point. And, and he's been mm -hmm. um, fantastic for them, especially some of their big guys have battled injury. Yeah, I think that it's funny that you picked Josh Young because historically speaking, in my preferences, he's definitely the guy you would think I would prefer over Yoshida because Yoshida's more of the high average guy that you know kind of impacts the game that way. Young has been the power bat. Um, but I definitely think both are well deserving of that. And, um, you know, I won't steal your thunder here, so I'll, I'll let you because I was going to love up on Corey Seager. But comeback player of the year, um, as it stands today, there's been a lot of fun guys that have have had really good years. And, and this is a guy that we talked about earlier in the year in Luis Robert Jr. Um, I know he had some some problems in terms of hustling and, and things like that, but he's turned it on since people kind of questioned his integrity there you're talking about a guy who last year in in 98 games he's been hurt his whole career so we don't know what we're getting out of uh robert but last year 98 games 12 home runs he had the average 284 but 746 ops you know he plays up the middle well this year he's been a completely different player back to the player that we'd expected him to be in 89 games played he has 26 home runs he has a 271 average, only a 330 OBP, which you worry about, obviously, but a 569 slugging percentage and an 899 OPS. He's been super fun to watch. He's one of the most electric players in the league. We saw it in the home run derby. He's like 50% max effort, 480 off the bat. It's unbelievable. Everything he hit, I was watching the stat cast version of the home run derby. Every ball that came off his bat was 105 plus. And it looked effortless. He's a tank. He's one of the most physically gifted guys in the MLB as it stands. If he can stay healthy, he's going to win an MVP and a home run title at some point in his career. No questions about that. But it's a matter of being able to stay healthy. We've seen healthy Robert. And he's been he's been great for the White Sox team that, that really hasn't had much positive going for him this year. Yeah, I'm happy that Lewis Robert disappeared and Luis Robert came back because um, nobody liked Lewis Robert when he was walking down the first baseline. But Luis Robert is one of the most impressive. But you know, he's 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 another tantalizing talent, right? I mean, he looks you know looks good in uniform. He he, and then to to see him have the power that he does um, is impressive. And and we had texted back and forth during the derby. They were showing on ESPN two kind of where guys catch the balls. Um, with their bat out in front of the plate or where on the plate they catch it, hit it out. And, and he's doing it where like negative 5% of your home runs come from in the big leagues, 21% of his home runs come from don't fact check that stat, but something like that. He's catching the ball really deep and he's still able to just flick the ball out. Um, he, he's impressive and it is good to see him kind of turn it on in the first half. Um, I'm going Corey Seager though. Uh, if Corey Seager didn't get hurt, Corey Seager would be challenging Shohei Otani potentially for an MVP, which is kind of crazy to, to think about. Last year in 151 games, you know, big free agent money with the Rangers. He he hits 245. Um, he did have uh, 33 homers last year, but it just wasn't quite to me the Corey Seager we expected. A 772 OPS. He wasn't taking his walks. His on base was really low for a guy who in in uh, 95 games in 2021, you know, OBP 394. He's only getting on base, you know, a third of the time in in um, in 2022. Well, this year he's come back, and when he's been healthy, he's been unbelievable. He's triple slashing 353, 413, 613. That's a 1 dot OPS. It's a 178 OPS, OPS plus, 78% better than the rest of the league. This guy, when he's healthy and the Rangers, if they're going to hold on, he needs to play every single day for the rest of the year. And if they can, you're talking about an MVP caliber guy. This is who they shelled the big contract to when they started, you know, when they were thought they were ready to start competing. This is the guy that they were expecting when they handed that contract to him. And, and uh, he's delivered this year when he's been on the field. Yeah. So I, I love Corey Seager. The, the point I was going to make when he talked about Josh Young was that I think Corey Seager's best baseball is ahead of him. And I think this is more in line of what we're seeing if the Corey Seager we're going to see moving forward. Um, I think last year, the 33 home runs was a very big sign of hope for him. It was like, oh, he's finally getting that doubles power to be home run powder. I mean, you're talking about a guy who hit 44 doubles and 19 home runs in 2019. That's unreal to think about. Like, how does some of those doubles not end up getting out of the park? And I thought he was transitioning into more of that. But you're talking about a guy that in 59 games has 26 doubles. That is unbelievable to think about. But I think 
my hypothetical question for you, and I'll ask you this, is let's say this Shohei Otani blister problem lingers and Corey Seager can play 140 games. I don't even know if that's possible. Is it? Did he miss too much time? 135 games, and he finishes with a triple slash because I do think it is realistic of 340, 415, 600, one dot, playing shortstop for a playoff Texas Rangers team. And Shohei Otani does not pitch much the rest of the way because we've seen blister problems creep up. Is Corey Seager the AL MVP? No. No, it's Shohei Otani, especially because if, if, if Shohei can continue to just be on, on at the plate and swinging the bat, then Shohei's kind of the guy, right? Like, it doesn't matter. Shohei Otani's going to push 60 homers. I know Seager's going to be great. Um, I don't think, again, I, I don't think Otani's the MVP because he also pitches. Like, that. this year, the qualifier isn't on that. Shohei Otani's the MVP because he's been the best offensive player who typically wins the MVP in the league, in all of baseball, both leagues. He could also be a Cy Young candidate. So then when you add it together, it's ridiculous. So I don't think Shohei Otani needs to step on the mound for another inning this year, and he still wins the MVP. Even though he's a DH? I mean, I don't think a DH has ever won the MVP. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, We would have to fact check that. David Ortiz never won an MVP. Mm -mm. Frank Thomas never won an MVP as a DH, only as a first baseman. But we don't have time. We don't have time. Move on. <laughs> we can get into it some other time. Yeah, definitely. In 2021, Shohei Otani became the first everyday DH to win MVP okay, league yeah, honors. Okay, because I know Frank Thomas DH'd a lot, when he, but he was also playing a lot of first base. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's get into some more stuff. But first, obviously, the second half is creeping up on us quickly. It will be starting tonight. So if anybody wants to get out to any MLB games, you need to check out our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is your essential resource for live baseball. For any of your ticket needs, head over to SeatGeek.com and use promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, and receive $20 off your first purchase. So, Dan, we're going to do this. This is going to be rapid fire because I want to get into our second half Um hot takes and and I have somewhere to be in a little bit of time. So we're going to go through this quick. This is how we're going to do this gun to your head. You have to rapid fire pick. I say division, you say division winner, nothing else. We don't need no analysis. We're going quick rapid fire through this. Well, so quick, we'll kick it off. Quick, water gun to my head and gun. Violence. No, real go gun. <laughs> um, we don't need you. We don't need you going crazy here um, and picking wrong. Uh, so first, I'm going to kick it off. It's going to be easy for you. NL East. Braves. All right. NL Central. Brewers. Okay. Like that one. NL West. Diamondbacks. Ooh. AL East. Rays. AL Central. I don't care. Uh, okay. Minnesota. Twi- uh, Cleveland. 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 AL West. Astros. Astros. All right. So I'll ask one follow-up question for a couple. Of, so a couple of those were obvious. Why the Brewers? Quick. I just think that I just think that the, the Brewers, if they can get healthy and if they can ever get Brandon Woodruff back and some of their offense plays better, I still kind of like the makeup of this team. I think there has to be at some point some regression for some of these teams that are playing a little bit above their head, and I think the Reds are one of those. I know they've been electric. They're really fun. I'm sorry to disappoint everyone, but. Some of these rookies are. There's going to be adjustments made. No Dodgers, top. Um, I think the, I it, I think the Angels hold Shohei Otani through the rest of the year, and, or get outbid by another, and the Dodgers or the Dodgers get outbid by another team. And I think the Dodgers are laying in wait. I think the Diamondbacks are going to do enough to um, hold them off, and I think the Dodgers are lying in wait to pay Shohei Otani a billion dollars next year, and they'll be back. Follow up question in the West. Padres make the playoffs. No. Okay. Let's head over to the American League. The Central. Just whatever you fill in the blank. I don't know. I, 
because I'm not in on the Guardians, but they they're sitting in first place right now. I'm not in on the Guardians either, but I feel like we've seen this movie three of the last four years where you would think the Twins would be the better team. They just continue to sputter around 500. Cleveland catches lightning in a bottle, whether it be an easy month on the schedule, whether it be they have a a long homestand. Jose Ramirez becomes the second half MVP. We've seen this happen where they they rattle off 18 of 20. The Orioles don't push the Rays because... Starting pitching. Okay. And last but not least, assuming one more team makes the playoffs from the AL West, the Rangers or the Mariners? Rangers. Okay. Perfect. Love that. And that was presented by Routine Baseball. We're super excited to announce that we are partnering with Routine Baseball for all of your clothing needs. Routine Baseball offers a ton of options from shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could imagine. Go to routine.com slash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have and receive 10% off. That's right. 10% off your order today. So Dan, the fun thing that everybody's going to want, Phoebe's going to click this out. We're going to send it out on social media. Everybody's going to be so mad. Second half hot takes. I don't know how hot we want to get on this meter first. Do we want to start hot? Do we want to end hot? But I definitely got some that I think are are relatively hot in terms of they might get the people going. Um, So I don't know if I'll let you go first and then I'll follow it up because I'll see how how in depth you want to get um, and and we'll go from there. Yeah, the Miami Marlins aren't going to make the playoffs. And Luis Arias isn't going to OPS 900. I'm going to die on this hill. I don't care what anyone says. This Marlins team, they're built in a way that I don't think it's sustainable. I think, again, I threw the number out there. I could be a couple games off, but you guys get the point. They're 23-6, and six, I believe, in one-run games. That's easy. That can happen in a half. That typically doesn't happen throughout an entire season. At some point, the better teams who can win by a larger margin are, are the ones who make the push and, and, and can get through 162 games. The Marlins are sitting still at a negative run differential. That's that's not playoff worthy team. The the Marlins have a worse run differential than the New York Mets. The Marlins are currently ten games ahead of the New York Mets. Something doesn't add up here, especially when you look again at how the Marlins are constructed. The Marlins are also relying on a lot of young pitchers who have never pitched deep into seasons. The dog days of July and August are real when it comes to starting pitchers and their workload. If, and then if you're battling for playoff position in September and you've now exceeded the inning limits for so many of these guys, and they did make one good move, I'll give it to him, sending Yuri Perez down to then hold him and manage his innings so that he can be fresh for the push is smart. But we, Edward Cabrera, Jesus Lazardo, these are all young guys who have not really put together full seasons in playoff contention, and you haven't gotten a good Sandy Alcantara. It was a first half of disaster for Sandy Alcantara. Now his last start against the Phillies, he looked great. But what what guy are we getting there? I don't think they have the offense to overcome it. Look, Brian De La Cruz isn't going to keep doing what he's doing and hitting these clutch homers. I just think that there's a ton of regression waiting to happen for the Marlins. They've played a heavy home schedule. They played their weakest part of their schedule in April and May. They're going to play a lot more teams who are above 500, a lot more teams who are better, who are contenders. I see a huge regression from them. I just don't see them getting into the playoffs. I think they're going to get passed up by some of these teams. All right, so Phoebe, Dan and I are packing our bags. We're going up the hill together, and we're both going to die up there because <laughs> my hot, my first hot take is in similar ilk. I had this debate the other day. I mean, dude, he's cute. He's fun. I, 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 I'm not going to sit there and say, but you saying that he's not going to OPS 900 is not hot. He's 905 right now. I'm going hot. He hits under 340 this year. Whoa. <laughs> I would go hotter and say that he's hitting under 330, but I'm not Whoa. that reckless here. Because um, a 50-point drop is definitely significant through what would be probably 70 games roughly, um, a little over. But again, there's not like I'm not sitting here saying that he's not good. I mean, a 900 OPS deserves MVP votes. It deserves credit. A 383 average. I mean, nobody does that in the game today. I'm not going to sit here and take credit away from him. But you're talking about a guy in terms of – so when we talk about expected batting averages, a lot of times we hear – we say this a lot. We use this as a stat that we use – MLB batting average as it stood a couple weeks ago when I saw this stat, so anybody can fact check me on air, was 247. StatCast and Baseball Savant's expected batting average was 247. 
So it proves that this is 100% like accurate. It might not be an exact science for every guy, but it is accurate in the data that they use that expected batting average correlates pretty much with no mistake with real batting average in the MLB. Luis Arias, as it stands right now, is 331 expected batting average with a 383 average. That is a 50-point difference. Does that come? You can outweigh that for a year. So maybe I'm dying on this hill next year when he when he struggles, like we've seen with Jeff McNeil, where those hits stop falling as much and you can't, you know, exceed that expected batting average luck. But I think there's going to be some form of regression. When you look at there, there's only one correlation to exit velocity and batting average. And it's the harder you hit the ball, the more likely it is to fall for a hit. That is a fact. There's no questions there. And Luis Arias, as it stands right now, has an 88.2 exit velocity, which is 30th percentile in the league. And that is uh, that is very hard to continue at the pace that he's on right now and to stay with that. I'm not going to sit here and say he's not a good player. I'm not going to sit here and say anything about him. He's a great player. He has a great swing. He hits a ton of line drives. But what happens when those line drives become ground balls? They're outs every time. Every time you're talking about 0 for 4s that are 4 for 4s right now. If he just hits those balls that he hits over the infield that fall in front of the outfield, if he starts missing under them and popping them up or missing on top of them, beating them into the ground, you're talking about 0 for 4 days because the margin for error, because balls are not hit and play hard enough, don't squeak through the infield. And that's even saying if he finishes the year 330, we deserve to give him as much credit as he's had this point because it's very hard to do that in the MLB right now with the pitching that we see. But I think he's coming back down to earth. We're dying on this hill. Any of our loyal listeners are probably like, you guys are clowns because you've said this before the season and he's been great. Just dig in. I'm Stephen A. Smith. I don't come off my takes. So that'll be my first uh, first hot take of the of the segment. So Dan, you can follow up with whatever you'd like. I just want to say about Arias, yeah, I, I still think he wins the batting title. I think you're right, yeah. though. He probably hits 335 and wins a batting title, 340 and hits a batting title. He's not going to hit 380. Look, Luis Arias has elite, elite, elite hand-eye coordination. That's clear. There's too much chance involved when the ball leaves your bat. That's what we're talking about. The harder you hit it, you just like the harder you throw a pitch, the more you increase your, your room for air. He, two percentile hard hit percentage. You said it, 30th percentile average exit velocity. People get mad at us for saying those numbers because they're going to say, well, he's hitting 380. Great. Like you said, just like Jeff McNeil, those are going to turn into outs. There's way too much data out there on way too many players that say, if you don't hit the ball hard, you are not an MVP level, one of the best players in the league. It doesn't happen. No one's ever done. Tony Gwynn was the last to do it, who also had elite, elite, elite hand-eye coordination. This guy, I'm not ready to call this guy Tony Gwynn yet, and I hate when people come back at me and say, he won the batting title last year. Yeah, he's a he's a really good average hitter. He won the batting title hitting 316, yeah. not 380. Like, there's a, yeah. that's a 70 point difference. Like, 316 and 380 are way, 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 way far apart. This He's more of a 315 to 335 hitter, not a 380 mm-hmm. hitter. And it's, it's just not – again, I don't, I don't think it's going to continue. The next thing um, – I don't know how hot takey this is. I think that Angels don't trade Shohei Otani and miss the playoffs and lose them in free agency and don't get anything, any investment on their return. That's my next – I don't know how hot of a take that is, but that is one of my second-half predictions. I think the Angels just – we've seen it too much. And again, to no fault of their own, you've made that point very clear and I think it's a great point. It's not like they're not trying. There's not that much ineptitude. They're going to get crushed for this, and I I don't I don't know if I would trade him either because I would believe if I had Shohei Otani that I would be able to make a playoff push too. Um, the Trout thing is is really unfortunate, um, and it might push them to trade him. But I I don't think they're going to get a deal they like, um, which is understandable. So I think they hold Otani. Um, I'm reading his, the book about him right now, Roy Halladay, but it's going to be similar to Halladay and own nine when there was so much fever pitch to Roy Halladay, the best pitcher in baseball is going to get traded, the, even though he was a free agent after the 2010 season. And so the Blue Jays didn't get the return they wanted. They held on to him and were forced to trade him in the offseason. So I think kind of similar to that, Otani is going to um, 
Otani's going to be held by the Angels, and then Walker's a free agent. They're going to miss the playoffs. So I'll, I'll go with my second hot take here then. Um, it'll kind of be in conjunction with you. We didn't plan this for our listeners that we're going to go hand-in-hand hand here. I'm going to go with two of three of Nolan Arenado, Shohei Otani, and Juan Soto get traded. Two of three of those. Um, so who that's going to be, I'm not going to sit here and, and guess. If I had to guess, I would say Juan Soto does not get traded. I think the the Padres make a push for the playoffs, and I think that Juan Soto stays in San Diego at least for the next half of the year. I think Nolan Arenado and Shohei Otani will get traded if that's the case, um, but I'm not going to sit here and set in stone. I just think that if you were going to sign Shohei Otani long-term, if he was interested in I don't understand why you wouldn't just blank check him, right? If you were committed to understanding what that number is going to be in the Angels, why hasn't he been locked up long-term? And I get why Shohei Otani doesn't want to sign that contract, but offer him a number that he can't resist. And if teams like New York, if teams like both New York teams, quite frankly, come calling, if teams like the Dodgers come calling and can offer you a haul that is an organization changer, and can just completely realign what you expect and what your expectations are moving forward with or without Otani. Again, we talked about this with the Juan Soto trade. Nobody in that trade is going to be better than Juan Soto, but it's about getting pieces that can make up for the loss of Juan Soto. It's the same thing with Shohei Otani. If you have an understanding, he's talked about how important winning is. He's talked about how important all of these things are, and he's obviously frustrated and fed up with Los Angeles. If you can get that information out of him and understand that our chances of signing him, especially when he hits the open market, are slim to none, and we've tried to offer him a large sum number that he couldn't resist in terms of the dollar figure, you have to trade him. And I I get the Angels don't always operate in the most efficient way. I think that's one of their negatives is their decision makers aren't very good. They kind of just throw caution to the wind there. But you have to sign Shohei Otani or trade him. If you feel like there's a good chance that you lose him, which everybody feels like they might, you have to get a return for him as best as possible, anything. And I think that that tells me that they're going to interest it or at least receive interest and and be open to it would be my guess. But I think Nolan Arenado is gone. I'd be interested to see how that unfolds. That would be a fun trade for for a lot of teams. I know the Yankees, he'd be a good fit there. Diamondbacks, he'd be a really good fit as well. Um, So it'd be interesting to see how that unfolds. But I would like to see one of Shohei or Tani or Juan Soto be traded. So Yeah, I I think that I would like to see it too, just because it's fun. It would be even more fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna lose all credibility here. I just have one more hot take, and we should probably wait till the deadline. Juan Soto's traded again. He's not traded to the New York Yankees. He's traded to the Tampa Bay Rays. Dude, I I said that last year when we talked about it, and I said that I felt like the Guardians and Rays would be more interested in a Juan Soto because you get as many years, like even with two and a half years of control, it would be worth it for them. And I was surprised to see that they weren't. I heard the Rays mentioned for Shohei Otani. That's very interesting to me. I don't see them as viewing that as a worthwhile investment. But again, it's CeCe Sabathia to the Brewers, right? Do you think the Brewers regret making that trade and what he did? I don't see the Tampa Bay Rays or the Guardians turning down that opportunity to get that impact talent, even if it's just for a year and a half. They they should trust their ability to replenish their farm system. They've shown the ability to do it. Why would you resist the opportunity to trade, what, four or five even high-level prospects when the Tampa Bay Rays and the Guardians have been able to replenish that in a calendar year, what feels like. So it's very interesting to see because I remember we talked about that with Carlos a little bit, and he was like, well, that's kind of against everything they believe in. And I 100%, I I understand that. I just find it hard to believe if you think a Juan Soto can help you for two and a half years, even one and a half, why you wouldn't do that and then just try to replenish your farm system through the draft, through international signings, and just go all in there. Yeah, and and 
I have something that I would like to. We can talk about more as we get closer to trade deadline. I have I have done some digging around in preparation for this trade date, trade deadline on some of these big name trades from the past and prospects that were given up and what those prospects did, and I'm starting to lean on. If you're talking about a player the caliber of Shohei Otani or Juan Soto, there is never, ever, ever never. a prospect worth holding on to. <laughs> So no. we'll get into that more. So for me, the fit for Juan Soto in Tampa and the ability, like you said, to get a year and a half of one of the best offensive players in Major League Baseball when you need, like potentially that's what you are looking for because the Braves, this is, this is I think, their best chance in a long time. Outside of the Braves, there's no one else to really, you know, the Astros aren't this, this powerful being in the American League. I don't, I don't buy into the Yankees. The Yankees certainly have the potential to go on a run. I don't believe in the staying power in the Orioles. This kind of feels like Tampa's year to have the American League be theirs. Go all in. Now, they may see it as we need a starting pitcher because of all the injuries on the mound, but I trust them to be able to kind of um, uh, improvise their pitching to get the job done. They need, if you at like, what do, happens to that lineup when you start looking at Yandy Diaz, Randy Rosanina, Ronda Franco, and Juan Soto? You take that lineup against almost anybody else in the league. Well, and even on top of that, I think you talking about this year, next, next year's year. their window as well. Yep. Like next year's an even bigger window for me, which is why Juan Soto makes a lot more sense of being able to acquire that talent and then get a healthy Jeffrey Springs, get a healthy Drew Rasmussen, get a full offseason, hopefully, fingers crossed, of Tyler Glass now, get Shane McClanahan back healthy, get Zach Eflin in your system for another year. Where is the hole in that lineup at that point in that rotation? Next year is their true championship window, in my opinion, and getting Juan Soto for this stretch run and next year's stretch run would be a slam dunk worth it, in my opinion. Again, I'm not the one trading these assets. I don't have the information. I don't have the data. I don't have the the scout size on the prospects that they have. Slam dunk decision for them, in my opinion. I just, I just couldn't see it being something that they regret. And like you said, when you look at historically speaking, the Nationals have made out about as good as anybody and that's just because they have an everyday big leaguer in Mackenzie Gore pitching in their rotation and top prospects that they could potentially turn into superstars but in five years we could be saying wolf those guys aren't very good and again we talked about that you're not going to replace Juan Soto that's understandable um but the opportunity to get anything back the Nationals have about, done as about as as good as anybody quite frankly and and it'll be interesting to see how I I feel like they should have done it last year. And I don't know if they're kicking themselves because they didn't, but I, I would like to see the Rays get involved in deep here and get them get that asset for a year and a half. So Dan, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? I got a I got a nice little meeting at uh at ten thirty, so we're we're swinging this thing pretty close. No, go handle business. No, oh, of course. Well, you know, money talks. That's that's the most <laughs> important thing. Um so Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the pod on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to and enter promo code backside ground ball to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe if you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs, I don't know, maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country, no matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code backside ground ball for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDE20.
ground ball.